0: Awesome. Let's give it up for the band. Good job. Yeah, how many of you were at the Leader's Advance, your leftovers? Awesome. We're glad you're here. And uh, how many of you got healed this week of some physical condition? How many of you got healed? We had lots of people. If you got, raise your hand high if you got healed from a physical condition this week. So good. Very exciting. Was a great anointing for healing uh, in the leaders' advance. Extraordinary. Saw lots of people get in touch, and and there was a, a great testimony. We, it, it's going to come out on video on Bethel TV uh, with about two people. One who, who a guy who had five life sentences. I think that means he would never be paroled. Five hundred years, life sentences. Who. Got, received Jesus in a solitary confinement cell after 13 years of being in there and got paroled, paroled six months later. <laughs> so crazy. And then another girl who had 40, and then another gal who had 43 felonies against her in a straitjacket in solitary confinement received Jesus. Really crazy story. The two of them meet at a conference. They get married. <laughs> oh, it's more outrageous than I'm telling. The story's 10 times better than that. And this is, this is the part I, I like the best. So they end up in this home group. They get to the home group, and the home group leader is the judge who sentenced him to 500 years, <laughs> who is now their home group leader. And the gal got out, I, uh, her name is Dawn. Dawn got out of prison and started seven transition homes for women. Oh, it's outrageous. I mean, I can't wait. I, I don't get very excited for the testimony videos. We see lots of them. I mean, I, But I mean, I don't anticipate them, but I anticipate this testimony video. It's got to be one of the very best testimonies I've ever heard in my life uh, about freeing prisoners. I mean, it's just like, it takes, you know... Captives free, prisoners go free. It takes it to another level, you know. So I'm excited for them. And they're, and they're just, they're happy. <laughs> I, I met them, Kathy and I met them about two months ago, and I, I kind of took them aside as only Chris does. I said, hey, how is your marriage? They're like, great. I'm like, oh, it makes me feel so good. You know, I, some, uh, anyway, yeah, anyway. It's just... Uh, Sometimes things look really good out here, but they're not so good in there. And I was like, they just look too happy for this to be real. So I had to just ask the question, are you guys doing well? And they're like, oh yeah, we're so happy. I'm like, that's awesome. Anyway, so Leaders Advance, was it was crazy. It was off the hook, amazing. Well, um, why don't you grab a hand and let's pray for the evening. Yeah, I know, you guys start laughing right away. Get a date. Go ahead and get a date. Just get a date. You can, this is, you can multitask, we can pray, and you can get a date. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing. We pray that you would take us into prosperity. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, I, I think that uh, Bill's theme... Of abundance. I think that might have been planned. I think I think Bill had a plan to actually teach on abundance, but I didn't. I don't know if I if I heard that, but I didn't know it was this week for sure. And uh, I was just been thinking all week about practical practical principles for wealth all week long. So when Bill got up and started sharing about wealth, I'm like, oh, that that's just a, a great theme. So why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter seven, and I want to talk about uh, four at least four, but four principles of creating wealth. And um, the first one is, make God your partner. So, uh, did I say Hebrews? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the Most High of God, who met Abraham as he's returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him. And to whom also Abraham appointed a tenth part of all, the spoils, first of all, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which means King of Peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great a man this was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his choiced spoils. And those, indeed, of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have a command in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although they are descendants from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tithe from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, the mortal, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, the one who receives them, whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so, to speak, Abraham, even... And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when uh, Melchizedek met him. Now, this is a great story. I'll just just give you an overview of the story. Um, You'll remember that Abraham and Lot's uh, shepherds, servants, weren't getting along. So they came to this place where Abraham and Lot, they were cousins, they made an agreement and Abraham said to him, just pick whatever territory you want and you go one way and and we'll go the other way. And so Lot chose Sodom and Lot ends up in Sodom and, and, um, and lives there for many years. And then Sodom and four other kings, five kings total, um, go to war against these four kings, four kings against five. And the outcome is, is that Sodom, the, the, the city of Sodom, Lost their nation. I think uh, actually it was like a city-state. They actually lost. So the five kings were actually taken over by four kings, and all of the people in Sodom were taken captive and brought and brought into exile. Well, Abraham gathers up three hundred of his trained men, and he goes after the four kings, and he defeats them. And it, there's it's only like two lines in the Bible, and he rescues Lot. And when he, after he rescues Lot, and they defeat the, the the four kings, he's in the battlefield, and all of his army, his 300 men, are picking up the spoil from the armies they defeated. And while they're gathering up the spoil, a man walks into the field, into, onto the battlefield, and the, here is the here is the uh, description of him. His name is Melchizedek. He has no beginning and no end. And when, every, when Abraham meets Melchizedek in the battlefield, immediately Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoil. This is uh, one of the references that Bill's making when he talks about that the tithe was established 400 years before the law, because the law didn't come until Moses, but Abraham tied to Melchizedek before it was required of him by law. So Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, which is... A, a powerful statement. But Hebrews says that when Abraham tied to Melchizedek, that Levi, who was a priest, and here's what he's saying in the passage, in, in the Hebrew passage, he's saying Levi was a priest who received tithes. And he says, the man who received tithes, Levi, the Levitical priest, gave tithes when Abraham tied to Melchizedek. Now, that's a That's 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 a cool testimony. Can you put up a one hour up there? By the way, sorry on the countdown clock. That's a cool testimony. But let me just tell you what he's actually saying. Remember, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had twelve sons. Abraham had Isaac when he was ninety-nine. Isaac. Isaac. I'm sorry. Abraham had Isaac when he was ninety-nine. Isaac had Jacob when he was also old, and Jacob. Had 12 sons. The point is, and one of the sons was Levi who became the Levitical tribe. What's the point? When Abraham tied to Melchizedek, the Bible says that literally Levi tied to Melchizedek. But Levi won't be born for 150 years. Why did Levi get credit for tithing to Melchizedek? Because Abraham tied to Melchizedek who had no beginning and no end. And when he tied to Melchizedek, the man who had no beginning and no end. He actually tithed into eternity. He tithed into eternity. In other words, when I tithe, when I give to God, how many of you know God doesn't live in time? When I give to God, that gift actually transcends time and space. And, and Levi gets credit for tithing to Melchizedek when Levi wasn't yet born. Because Abraham... He didn't give just to a person. He gave into eternity. And when he sowed into eternity, he reaped a legacy. Point number one. <laughs> How do I create a culture of wealth and make God my partner? I, uh, I was watching T.D. Jakes. It's probably around five years ago. I love T.D. Jakes, by the way. I, I don't actually like watching Christian TV too much. I shouldn't say that, huh? <laughs> I love Joel Olstein and I love T. D. Jakes. So and uh T. D. Jakes can have one point and make a whole message out of it. And you are totally riveted on this one point. So T D is talking about tithing. And he has a bag of dimes. And it's this big bag of dimes. And he's Walking through his huge congregation, you know, I don't know how many thousands of people are, can actually sit in that in his, in his uh, sanctuary, but he's walking among the people, and he's throwing out dimes, and he's saying, for 10 cents, God will be your partner. <laughs> for 10 cents, God will be your partner. How would you like to have a partnership with a God that only requires 10 cents? He does all the work, you get all the blessing, and he just gets 10 cents on a dollar, Acts chapter 10, I love this verse too, verse 1. If you want to turn there, you can. Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with his whole household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and he, fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended to heaven as a memorial before God. Your prayers and your giving have become a memorial before God. You know, when when God parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry land, when they got on the other side of the Red Sea. They set up stones. God actually instructed them through Moses. I want you to set up stones. Why are we setting up stones? So when your children say, why are those stones there? You can share with them the testimony of God. You can remind. In other words, it became a conversation piece. Like God said, set up stones so that your children see the stones. They go, Dad, why those stones? And you go, ah, oh, glad you asked. Let me tell you about the time God took us through this the Red Sea, on dry land. When they crossed the Jordan River, they set up two sets of stones, one in the middle of the Jordan River and one at Gilgal, two piles of of rocks, 24 rocks, for the same reason. My point is, is that they set up those stones as a monument to the works of God. But in heaven, when you give to God, God says to Cornelius that your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. In other words, On earth, we set up memorial stones to remember the works of God. But in heaven, when you give and pray, there's a memorial to you. To your works in heaven. And God sees the works that you've done in righteousness. In this case, in Cornelius, he looks out, according to the scripture, he looks out and he sees this monument to Cornelius, his prayers and his giving. And he tells the angel, go get that guy saved. And the story is, Peter's in a trance, he sees that, you remember, he sees the, uh, the sheet that comes down, you know, with unclean animals. That all happened because Cornelius gave to God. In fact, let me put it this way, he gave to a God he didn't yet know. And when he gave to a God he didn't yet know, God sends an angel to him, puts a, gives Peter, a trance, sends the most famous apostle in the Bible to his house to lead him to Christ and to teach him. Why did that happen? Because he gave to God, the God he didn't yet know. That's a good word, much better than your response. <laughs> <laughs> Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, um, sometimes you ask people, what do you do for a living? And they say, I live by faith. Now, I've learned, in America, that means I ain't got a job. (laughs) I try really hard to not be offended because the connotation is, once I get a job, I don't need faith. I live by faith means other people give me money who actually have a job. And by the way, if you're called to... Anyway, forget it. I'm not even going <laughs> to fix that. He's going to fix it, but I feel like I'm not supposed to. It's great living people giving into you and sowing into you. People sow into our ministry all the time. So thankful for it. But how many you know, whenever we work for provision, instead of working for God, we relocate our income to what we can do. Let me say it again. Whenever we work for provision... Instead of working for God, we relegate our income to what we can do. When we work for God and still live by faith, then we can live by the by heaven's economy instead of our own provision. How many know? No matter how much I make, how much money I make at Bethel Church, I don't want to reduce my income down to what I can do. I want to have faith and work. And by the way, I don't want to work for Bethel Church. I want to work for God. I've got many Facebook pass- uh, passages. Yes, <laughs> yes, we're writing our own face- passages now. I've got many Facebook messages about this next point. I tell people you should quit your job and work for God, but go back to the same place where you're hired. Something happens when I work at McDonald's, when I have a job at McDonald's, but I actually work for God. I mean, what would happen if I, if I went to McDonald's, but I brought the king and his kingdom? I mean, I think that life would take on a whole different flavor if I actually realized who I'm really working for. Because I don't work for money, I work for God. I think it's, I, you know, uh, Peter, Paul said this, he said, he who doesn't provide his own, for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. And he goes on to say, if a man won't work, let him not eat. So I actually believe that we should labor. I believe it's a biblical principle to work. How many of you know that you receive grace so that you couldn't work? You were created for good works in Christ Jesus, which he planned beforehand. How many you understand that grace didn't keep you from working, it gave you the ability to work? So I believe in hard work, but I believe that we should work for God and not just for man. When I work for God, how many know I work at the same place? I just do it with <laughs> with a passion and an intensity, and I reap a reward that's eternal. Thank you. Genesis chapter twenty-six. What happens when I work for God? Genesis twenty-six one. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Ger, to Abinelik, the king of the Philistines. Verse twelve. Now Isaac sowed in the land, and he reaped the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. I love this part. And the man became rich. Then he continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. (laughs) I I just I, I should read it again. Now Isaac sowed in the land. In what land? In the land where there was a famine. And what happened to him? In that same year, he reaped a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and he continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. I don't think wealth is a sign that you have a relationship with God, unless it is. I don't think you can measure a person's spirituality by how much stuff they have, unless God gave it to them. Abraham was rich specifically because the Bible says because God blessed him. And Abraham was so concerned that someone would get the credit for blessing him instead of God that when the king of Sodom tried to bless him for rescuing him, and he, he said to Abraham, listen, only give us back our people and we will give you all the wealth of our kingdom. And Abraham said to him, I will not take your wealth, lest you say you made Abraham rich. How many know Abraham was rich? I don't know if you know this, but Abraham received wealth from other kings, but he wouldn't take it from the king he rescued. So how many know that Abraham's relationship with God specifically made him rich? Isaac's relationship with God specifically made him rich. I understand the other side, and Bill articulated that well this morning, that there was a whole movement deemed the prosperity movement that kind of got off track and began to say like people that have a lot of money have a relationship with God I I think we can look around and realize that that's not true there's lots of people that have lots of money that has nothing to do with God there's people who don't know God at all there's people who hate God who have lots of money but how many know there are also people who specifically are blessed by God and their blessing is in direct relationship to their relationship with God So, so number one May God your partner. Go in business with God. I, I believe very much in tithing. I, I think you're going you're gonna to teach on tithing at some point in the morning, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. I believe very much. Huh? You're going to surprise them? Surprise them. <laughs> 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 I don't know if they'll be surprised, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in tithing. Some people say, well, tithing is part of the law. Well, if, if, if tithing was 10%, then I could say it was the law. But it's not 10%, it's the first 10%. In other words, I give away 10% before I know what else I have. How many know, if I, if give, if I just give 10%, that's rules. If I give the first 10% and have to trust Him for the rest, that's relationship. Number, number two, second principle. Have multiple sources of income, which Bill touched on this morning. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And where... And where And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how the bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Now, um, I I just want to take us through a few... um, I think there's a lot in these verses, and I want to just take you through a few ideas. Verses 1, uh, one and 2, you don't know, the, um, so he says, uh, verse 1, you cast your bread on the water, um, you will, and you will find it in many days. Divide your portion to seven or eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. First of all, investment. You don't know the future, so spread your investments out in a way that protects your investment. Number two, The second point: When you invest, when the interest rates are high, you don't and you don't start over. When the interest rates are high, you don't want to borrow money; you want to lend it. But when the interest rates are low, you want to borrow money and invest it in high yield, like real estate. Here's here's the point that he's making. He says, "Listen, cast your bread on the water, and when you do, many days later, it will come back to you." In other words, invest, and it will come back to you. Okay. Next question: Where do I invest? He says, "Don't just invest in one thing; invest in seven or eight different things." Why? Why do I invest in seven or eight different things? Well, he says, "I invest in seven or eight different things because I don't know the future; I don't know the outcome. So, I might invest in this thing, and that thing goes bad. But how many understand that if I invest properly, well, in other words, like I, if I invest, if I invest in a, um, I, I, was, I was thinking of it on the way here. If I invest." practically, in a way that I invest in, let's say, gold, and I invest in stocks. You understand that typically, when the stock market goes down, the gold market goes up. What I'm getting at is that I cast my bread on the water, I invest in seven or eight different investments, and I invest to protect my future. Now, how many know your future's in God's hands? We're just making practical statements right now. And Ecclesiastes, Solomon says... Invest or seven or eight, in seven or eight things. And why do I do that? I do it because, verse, verse 2, divide your portion to seven or eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. So I invest to protect my investment. So I'm not going to invest... Uh, this, I, I believe this is part of what Solomon is saying. I don't want to just invest in the housing market. I don't want to invest in seven houses. Because how many know, that probably is not going to protect my investment. If the housing market goes down, I've actually put all my eggs in one basket. But Solomon's, Solomon's idea is to invest in different things, so that if this goes down, if this has misfortune, this typically has fortune. How many know that in the, in the Depression, there was more millionaires, millionaires, that was a lot of money at one time, there was more millionaires made during the Depression than any other single time in America. One person's problem is another person's opportunity. The second thing he says is this, verse 3, he says, If the clouds are full, they pour forth rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. What's his point? Number one, the clouds pour rain when they're full. In other words, investment will come to maturity in time. So he's talking about money, and he says, Listen, when the clouds are full, they'll pour forth rain. What's his point? His point is, be consistent, just keep investing, because when the cloud gets full, it's going to pour rain. Are you with me? So sometimes we're like, I put some money there, and i like, ah, oh, it didn't happen, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. And he's saying, no, if you keep investing in something that's good, eventually the cloud, the money you're investing, the cloud will get full, and it'll begin to rain. The second thing he talks about is the tree. The tree falls, a tree can fall to the north or south, and... You don't know which way the tree is going to fall, but when it when it's all when it when it falls, it just lies there. What's the point? He makes in other words, don't gamble on which way the tree will fall. Invest in the inevitable. He's saying, don't. The tree might fall to the north or it might tra- fall, fall to the south. His point is, it's a riddle. He's saying to you, listen, don't don't gamble. Don't say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to make I'm gonna bet that the tree falls to the north. He goes, well, then it could fall to the south. But one thing's for sure. Once the tree falls, it'll be on the ground. So invest in something that happens to be on the ground. Are you with me? He's talking about investing. He said, invest in the inevitable. What's the inevitable? The tree's going to be on the ground. Verse 4. He who watches the wind and the rain will never invest because they're waiting for the perfect conditions. And his point is, if you entrust your investment to God... He'll make it flourish in mysterious ways. So let me just read the verse to you, the last part. He said, He who watches the wind will not sow. He who looks to the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. The point he's making is that if you're looking, if if you're investing just because of the conditions, you'll never really invest. He said, if you watch the wind, you're like, oh, we can't sow right now because the wind will blow the seed away. Oh, we can't sow right now because it looks like it's going to rain. This point is, you're never going to actually fully invest if you're watching just the conditions. But the God who makes the bones in the womb of a woman and the God who makes the wind blow whichever way he wishes, when I invest with God, God's the one who makes my investment come to fruition the same way he makes the bones in a woman's womb I don't know how he does it, but when I invest with God, my investment works. When I invest and when I'm just trying to find the right conditions, how me understand, I'm not trusting him. So he's saying, even when you invest, don't put your trust in the wind or the rain. Put your trust in the God who who knits the womb in the womb of a woman. People. People. Oh. Certainly wasn't a climax. Anyway.
1: I hate
0: when you have this beautiful message and at the end you can't remember the point. It's another point to make God your partner. Um, Number three. Learn the ecosystems of wealth. This is something I did a few months ago. But I want you to turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Verse 14. Jesus was talking about the kingdom, and he said, It's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves together and trusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Each one according to his own ability. Everybody say, according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received 5 talents went and traded them and gained 5 more talents. In the same way the one who had received 2 talents gained 2 more. But the one who received 1 talent went away dug a hole in the ground and hid it from his master and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received 5 talents came up and brought the 5 more talents and brought him 5 more talents saying, "Master, you entrusted 5 talents to me. See, I have gained" Five more. Say this, I have gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Now, this guy didn't just hide his master's money. He's stupid. (laughs) He hides his master's money, and he tells his master, I hid your money, and I hid it because I know that you reap where you don't sow, and you gather where you scatter no seed. Which is the reason why he should have inve- invested it instead of hid it. Did you get that? Yeah. He's saying to his master, I willingly disobeyed you. I knew you didn't want me to bury this because you're a man who reaps where you don't sow. How many know? That means you invest money and you get more money. <laughs> you gather where you scattered no seed. How many understand? That means that he knew his master was expecting him to bring back interest on his money. Uh, for all of us that have mercy on this guy, I'm like, he, he's not very intelligent. Verse 25, And I was afraid, and went away, and hid your talent in the ground. See, I have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow. And I gathered where I scattered no seed. <laughs> this is just to the, Hello! Hello, is there anybody home? (laughs) Then you ought to have put the money in a bank. And on my arrival, I would have received the money with interest. This part, uh, I I think this is funny that it's in the New Testament. Therefore, take take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Oh my goodness, the Lord's a Republican. (laughs) It was a little joke, it was just a little joke. But he's obviously a, a capitalist. Can we agree he's at least a capitalist? To everyone who has, more shall be given. I could spend the night on these verses. <laughs> to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. Listen to this. But from the one who, do, from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Now, let me just comment on the last part of that, and then we'll talk about the talent part. I know. You know how people say, the rich just keep getting richer, and the poor just keep keep getting poorer? That's the kingdom. It's not that the rich get richer, it's that the faithful get rich. And the fearful get poor. (laughs) And according to this, and remember he begins with talking about the kingdom, according to this passage, that God takes the money away from the poor guy who only had one. Oh, poor guy only has one. And he gave it to the guy who has ten. He didn't take it from the guy who had two, he took it from the guy who only had one. The poor victim had one little talent. And God took it from him and gave it to the wealthy man. Now, to be clear, I think I said it already, but God doesn't take from the poor and give it to the rich, but he takes it from the unfaithful and gives it to the faithful. Okay, so let's go back. First of all, a talent is worth $30,000 approximately. And remember, these guys got money according to their ability. So we could say that the guy who had five talents had more ability than the guy who had two. And the guy who had two had more ability than the guy who had one. But we have to remember that the guy who got one talent had some ability. (laughs) Because he got money according to his ability. So he had $30,000 worth of ability or he wouldn't have got $30,000, is my point. So each guy got money. So the first guy got $150,000. And what happened is master comes back and he says master that $150,000 that five talents you gave me i i have made you $150,000 more and the lord says to him that's so good i'm going to put you in charge of many things the guy that got two talents 60 grand he comes back and he says master your 60 grand has made another 60 grand i have made you another 60,000 here is your 120,000 that I have made for you. Now, a few things come clear in this passage, and that is this wealth attracts wealth. And we're going we're to, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but wealth, I think there's a difference between riches and wealth. I think. Wealth is actually an ecosystem that attracts favor, blessing, and stewardship. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Somebody said, if you divided all the money in the world up evenly, in five years the rich would be rich again, the middle class would be middle class, and the poor would be poor, because money is often a manifestation of an inward condition. Now, we don't know if that's true, but what we do know, what we do have real statistics about is people who've won a lottery, and they have tracked people that have won a million dollars or more. And what they've found is that the people, almost everyone who's won one million dollars or more, is actually poorer five years later than they were when they won the money. Why? Because they got richer on the outside than they were on the inside. How many of you know? How many of you know if you take a pauper and you put him in a palace, he's going to reduce the palace to a prison. But if you take a prince and you put him in a palace, he'll make the palace I'm sorry, if you take a prince, you should put him in a palace. If you take a prince and you put him in a prison, he'll make the prison a palace. It's the story of Joseph. What I'm getting at is this is that wealth is oftentimes well I'm going to say this. So I'm going to tell you what wealth and riches are in just a minute. But follow me. I think riches are an outcome and wealth is a condition. I think that when you take a, poor, a person who's poor, not poor in spirit like a good thing, but has a poverty spirit, and you give them more money externally than they have wealth internally, that they'll actually reduce their, their condition to their inward condition. That water always finds its level. And I think that you shouldn't just give to people. I think you should invest in people. Okay, so now let's go to the parable of the, of the Minas. It's Luke chapter 19. Again, I have taught this about four or five months ago. Verse 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And he said, an old man went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten Midas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Verse 15. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that all these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared and said, Master, your Mina has made ten Minas. Everybody say this. Master, your mina has made 10 minas. And he said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful with very little, with a very little thing. You shall have authority over 10 cities. The second one came and said, Master, your mina has made five minus. Everybody say, Master, your mina has made five minus. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And another came to him, saying, Master, there's your mina, which I kept in, away and, and hid in my handkerchief. For I was afraid, because you are an exacting man, and you take up where you do not lay down, and you reap where you do not sow. <laughs> there's another man, spirit of stupid. They probably hung out with the other guy. <laughs> and he said to him, By your own words, why judge you, you worthless slave? Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up where I did not lay down, and reaping where I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank? And And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mine away from him, and give it to the one who has ten miners. And they said to him, Master, he has ten miners already. And he said, I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given to him. But the one who does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Now this is a great story, and I used to think these were identical passages, but first of all, a talent is, remember, 30,000 dollars, approximately. A mite is 500 dollars. When Jesus told the parable of the talents, he said he gave the talent according to their ability. But how many know that in this passage, he said that he gave them all the same amount of money. He gave them all one he gave them all 500 dollars. The first guy comes back and he says, Master, your mina, your $500 has made 5,000, five 10 times more. Your mina has made 10 minas. And he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You shall be over 10 cities. The next guy comes and he says, Master, your mina has made five minas. Well done, good and faithful slave. You shall be over five cities. And you know what happens to the last guy. His money is taken. His $500 is taken and given to the guy who's prospered the most. I I, want to just call attention to a couple things in the story. The first one is this. It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters what you do with it. The guys that got $30,000, did you notice they got put over stuff? But the guys that were given $500, they got put over cities. What's the difference? The guys that got the $30,000, the the talents, the first one, $150,000, the second one, $60,000. The guys that got the talents, first of all, they got it according to their ability. And when they came to the master, they said, Master, I, I have made you more money. And how many know that's good? And as a matter of fact, Jesus said, Well done. I'll put you over things. You know, how to, you know how to make money. I'll put you over things. These guys come back and they say, Master, your mina made more minas. Your money made money. And Jesus says to him, metaphorically speaking, if you know how to create ecosystems where money makes money, then you should be over cities. Why? Because God wants cities to prosper. Who does he put in charge of cities? People know how to change culture. He said, if you can take $500 and make it 5000 if you can take $500 and you're, you know how to make money make money, then you know the principles of how to take a city and make it prosper. I love the passage because the guys that got put over the cities, they were only entrusted $500. Listen, you might be sitting here and you're from a whole dunk town like Weaverville. <laughs> I mean, you can't even sound intelligent when you're right. From, where are you from? Weaverville. I'm saying, you're like, I, I came, you know, I, I was raised poor. That doesn't matter. What did you do with what you were given? That's what matters. Wow. It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters what you do with what you have. Yeah. And my point tonight in talking about wealth is that we need not just to learn how to make money, but we need to learn how money makes money. Not just so that we can be wealthy, but so that we can actually be prosperous and so we can learn the principles of shifting culture. Deuteronomy 8.18. I love this. You shall remember the Lord your God. This is Moses talking for God. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's He who has given you the power to make wealth. Listen to this that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Did you get that? I'm going to read it to you again. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you this day the power to make wealth. Why? To confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers to this day. In other words, he said, I'm going to make you wealthy Why am I doing that? So when people see your wealth, they'll know you have a relationship with me. (laughs) Now I understand the other side, and I completely agree that not all wealth is attached to a relationship with God, but theirs was. (laughs) And God said, I'm going to give you the power to make wealth so that it will confirm that I have a covenant with you. (laughs) I've never heard of anyone being poor so they can confirm that God has a covenant with them which says that wealth is really a power and not just a condition. Start over. I'm going to give you power to make wealth. It will confirm my covenant with you. What does that say? The first thing it says is wealth is not just a condition, it's a power. Number two, God's the one who gives people the power to make wealth, which is the magnetic attraction to prosperity. Let me say it again. God is the one who gives people the power to make wealth, which is the magnetic attraction to prosperity. God intends wealth to be a sign that his people have a covenant with him. The word wealth in this context is the word, I won't even try to pronounce it, it's C-H-A-Y-I-L. How would you pronounce that? It means strength, efficiency, wealth, and an army. It's used in Deuteronomy 3.18. Then I command you at this time, saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. All you valiant men cross over who are armed before your brothers and the sons of Israel. All you valiant men shall cross over armed before your brothers. The word valiant is the word power. The point. When God said, I'm going to give you the power to make wealth, it's the same word, valiant men. I'm going to anoint you, and valiant men are going to bring wealth to you. I'm not talking about people in the natural. I'm saying when God anointed them with power, it was like valiant men going out to bring prosperity to them. It wasn't just attracting prosperity. It was actually valiant. It was a valiant strength that pulled prosperity into their life. (laughs) That's a good word. Riches and wealth aren't the same thing. Proverbs 10.22, the Lord's blessing brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Riches is, excess, riches is excessive amounts of money, but wealth is prosperity without problems. Riches is excesses amounts, excesses... <laughs> How about we say it differently? Riches is an excess amount of money, but wealth is prosperity without problems. I'd like to suggest that poverty is the opposite of wealth, and that is also a power. I'm not talking about poor, I'm talking about poverty. I think you can be poor and not be in poverty. But poverty is also a spiritual power that's origins are evil, and like gravity, it sucks victims into the vortex of lack, pain, and despair. And people that are in poverty often have these four symptoms. Not everybody. Did you hear me say poverty, not poor? Okay. Poverty. They believe they're victims. Life happens to them. They are powerless pawns in the evil game of misery. Number two. They feel entitled. Someone owes them a living. It's someone else's job to fix their situation. Number three. They build cases against the wealthy to justify their poverty. And number four, they refuse to take responsibility for their own lives. They have excuses that they have mistaken for reasons which disempower them. Now, we should... um, I'm not trying to dishonor poor people. I'm trying to break the power of poverty. I'm saying poverty isn't just the way I think. It's a power. Again, I'm just going to say it one more time so that I make sure I'm being heard. I'm not talking about people who are poor. I'm talking about a culture of poverty. A culture of poverty is actually the opposite of a culture of wealth, and it actually is a spiritual power that keeps people as victims, powerless victims of a system of poverty. I wrote this on my blog the other day. (laughs) I don't know how to so I thought I'd read it to you. The idea that wealthy people are inherently selfish, or by nature their prosperity, uh, by nature, by the nature of their prosperity, they oppose the poor is a lie. Yes, many rich people oppose. No, start over. Yes, many rich people oppress the poor, but many more wealthy people take care of the poor, create jobs, and spend billions of dollars every year funding them. The most obvious examples are Bill and Melinda Gates, who are in themselves two of the wealthiest people alive today. They are giving away billions of dollars to the poor. Ray Croft, the founder of McDonald's, not only put tens of thousands of people to work in entry-level jobs, he also left most of his fortune to the Salvation Army. The list goes on and on. Names like Rockefeller, Henry Ford, Warren Buffett, Paul Allen, just to name a few, not only collectively provided jobs for millions of people, but also spent and are spending billions to take care of others. There are many... There are many more generous billionaires than there are selfish ones, but most of them give in secret or they, have an end, or they would have an endless line of leeches sucking the life out of them. Giving in secret is only popular in heaven. On earth, if you are wealthy, you must publicize your endeavors or risk being lynched by the entitled. If you have a nice car or house, you will be judged as selfish without as much as a conversation about your generosity." If you post anything about wealth, it generates ridiculous amounts of pushback about the evils of money. Yet those same people often don't think twice about praying, for God, praying that God would pay off their bills, get them a job that pays more, or help them buy a house. It's such a crazy double standard. The truth is, I grew up among the poor, and I can tell you that there's more selfish people among the poor than there is among the rich. In fact, many became rich, many became wealthy, because they are generous, and many others stay poor because they are not. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running out all over. If you are generous, but if you are generous, and Jesus gives so much to you that it's running out all over, <laughs> running out all over, you better hide, or you'll be branded as a prosperity teacher and relegated to the halls of heresy. How many understand that Jesus is the one who said, if you give, it'll be given to you? So much. You know, pressed down, shaken together? That's like if you think about uh, um, uh, you know, a bin of wheat, like you shake it, right? So it, 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 you, know, you, you, pour, you pour grain in there and then you shake it. What for? So it'll settle. And you pour more in there and you shake it so it'll settle. And you pour more. And he goes, okay, you know how you, how you fill a grain? Ben, and you keep shaking it so you can get as much in there as possible. I'm going to let you shake it, shake it, shake it, and I'm going to keep giving it until it overflows. I'm going to give you so much, you can't contain what I'm going to give you. When am I going to give that? When you give, I'm going to give back to you. Help me understand that many people who don't know the Lord enter into kingdom principles, and God still blesses them. Let me say that again. Many people who don't know the Lord enter into kingdom principles and become wealthy on the principles of the kingdom and they don't even know the king. So, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to agree with this tomorrow. <laughs> but I'd like to propose to you that many people who are very rich in our, in our community, and I'm talking about globally, the global community, actually have given and given and given in secret. And God has returned to them, even though they don't know God. That he literally gave them power to make wealth because they were inherently generous. Yes, I still agree with that. (laughs) Number four. We need to move from sourcing to resourcing in the kingdom. We need to move from sourcing to resourcing. What's sourcing? Mama gives you money. Someone donates to me. Tithes and offerings, in my mind, sourcing. When I when I came to Bethel uh, years ago, when Bill and I came to Bethel, ninety eight point seven percent of all the income of Bethel Church was through tithes and offerings. People gave money. How many know? That's awesome. And our budget was one point eight million dollars last year. I think our budget. I don't know what the total was, forty million. Only seventeen percent of our income was people giving. How many know we need to move from sourcing, people give you money, to resourcing, you take the money, and money makes money. And you create things that people want that are they're worth paying for. (laughs) Let me say this. If it's not worth paying for, it's not worth doing. Sometimes years ago, somebody would say, Well, somebody's complaining about the price of the conference. We should lower the price, and maybe we should. But my my thought is improve the experience. One of the things that happens when you charge people for something is suddenly you're responsible to up your game. (laughs) I have a lot to say about that, but I think, think that'll do it. I think it's important that we think through each of us that we think through how we're investing, where we're putting our time. You're like, oh, I'm in a dead-end job. There's no such thing as a dead-end job if you work for Jesus. And if you have faith, you're not reduced to the amount your employer's paying you because he's not really your employer. But, uh, I guess, I, I want to tell you, um, about investing. I think that we should invest. I think it's really important that we should invest. And by the way, if you're just getting started, young people, I would say this. Live off of 80%. Start out by giving 10% to your, your home church, the people who take care of you. And I'm sure Bill's going to do a really great job talking about tithe. And then take another 10% and use it for investment. Learn to live off of 80%. If you start with 80%, like if you start, if you, if you build your whole economy around 80%, you, you, you'll have enough. For some of us older folks, we have to migrate there. It's like, I've been li- living off the 90% or maybe you've not even tithe. And it's like, I don't even know where I'd find that 20%. Well, you know, instead of feeling guilty and shame over it, just have a goal that you're moving towards doing the right thing. I, I, you know, if God calls you, I, let me say this. I believe that God's called us to radical obedience always. And I, I remember years ago, um, I don't know if Bill remember this, but we were we were actually painting the nursery together. It was the very first year I met Bill. And we were painting the nursery together, and Bill was, we were talking about finances. Probably I inspired the conversation, which I usually do. <laughs> I talk and Bill answers. And uh, I, remember the, I remember the conversation still. It's one of those, you know, one of those few conversations in life that you still can recall. And I, I and I was talking to Bill about money, and Kathy and I were generous. We didn't tithe. We weren't, we, we were young believers. We weren't taught to tithe, and, and so Bill and I were painting, and Bill said to me, talked to me about the tithe, and just gave me a, while we, were, while we were working, just gave me a little overview about tithing, and that tithing was actually a New Testament principle, da, da, da. And I said to him, well, I don't know how I'd give away 10%. Like, I don't have extra. And this is what he said to me. Tithe for the next three months, and if the Lord doesn't, if the Lord doesn't give back to you at least a tithe, I'll return your money to you. <laughs> that was pretty cool because I got to start with no risk. And we did that and we've been tithing ever since. So that was cool. But I want to talk about some other investments. I, I believe that the Lord puts themes in our life. Um, one of the themes that Kathy and I have um, that the Lord's really called us to is, is uh, in Proverbs it says, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So, about uh, 15 years ago, I was reading that verse and I, I read it to Kathy and I said, I really think, in fact, let me just tell you how it happened. I was in the prayer chapel, praying in the prayer chapel, this is probably 16 years ago, and I was taken into the future and I, and I had this vision about my children and grandchildren. I'm not going to tell the vision right now because I just have eight minutes and I want to give you the rest of these points. And when I Got back into the prayer chapel from this vision I had. The Lord said, I want you to quit your ministry and build a legacy. I want you to pour into a generation you will never see. And I got off the floor and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to have a hundred year vision. So a few days later, I was reading Proverbs and I read this verse that a righteous man gives to his children's children. And we, were, we didn't have any extra money at the time. And I, I came back and I told Kathy about the vision I had and about the verse that that God had highlighted. And I said, I think we should just take $50 a month for each one of our grandchildren. At the time, we had seven. And I said, and we should just put that money, and we should just have it automatically come out of our account and into their account. And she was like, good, let's do it. And that was a big faith step for us. We didn't have an extra, what is that, $350 a month, but we just did it. And so that money has just been going in there. Again, it's not a lot of money. And we've given our grandkids much more than what's in there. But our granddaughter just went to university, and she had money for the entrance. Our, our grandson just needed a car. We just took the money from there, and from that, that we've been accumulating, and gave it to him. We bought our two, two, both our, both our grandkids' cars. Actually, the, my grandson got a car that was inherited from his from my from my mother, and we actually fixed it up with that money, and we're getting him started. So it's not a ton of money, but we're honoring the principle. A righteous man gives to his children's children. So I want to just say that you take, I said, put away 20%, give 10 to the place that's feeding you, at least, and take another 10 and do stuff like this. Give it to your grandchildren. Save it for your grandkids, for your kids. Um, the next principle we live by is to give to the poor. Jesus said, God, uh, Proverbs said, if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. In fact, Proverbs goes on to say, if a king remembers the poor, his throne will be established forever. So the, next, the other thing we, another thing we do with our money is we give to the poor. And we give to the mission in town. We give $500 a month to the mission in town. We actually just started doing that in town here. I, I toured the mission. I came home for it. I was so rocked. And by the way, if you get rocked by something, you should invest in it. Well, I don't have the money to. I propose that's why you got rocked. Because your master wants you to give to it. I came back from the mission. I was so moved. I think we were given $100 a month. I was so moved by what I saw there, the way that Jonathan and the team, in, it, by the way, you want to give someplace you're going to instantly see your money, like invested in a city and change a city. You should give to the mission. So I came home. I told Kathy all about it. I said, I want to give $500 a month. And we started giving that, I think it was two, two months ago, month ago, month ago. Started giving $500 a month to there. Um, we give to Tracy Evans several thousand dollars a year. We've been doing that for years. And by the way, I believe in spontaneous giving, but if you're going to create a legacy, I believe in consistency. I believe in consistent giving. So we've been giving to Tracy somewhere around 12 or 14 years. I think we give, I don't know, a $1,000 a month to Tracy. Iris, Bake, the bakers, we give Iris we, uh, every month, and we've been giving, we give thousands to Iris every month. I'm sorry, to every year. I think we give a thousand or so a month to them, and I worked on her board for seven years. We give to the Heroes of the Nation, which is a an orphanage that um, I got. I went to the, the, this orphanage in Africa called the Heroes of the Nation. The kid, the two, the children that are in there, both parents have to have died of AIDS. So there's tons of orphanages all over Africa. This one orphanage has this one policy that they want. They want to take care of the orphans that specifically their parents have died of AIDS. So I got in there. Um, Uh, Many years ago, I think around 13 years ago, I visited there the first time, and I'm like, "Wow, this isn't just giving to the poor. This is investing in the poor. This is investing." And I, the very first time, I brought uh, my son Jason with me and my daughter Shannon, and we went to this orphanage, and we're, we're surrounded by 500 kids, and they're all. They did a parade for us. It was really cool. All this cool stuff. And I'm walking with a bunch of kids, and I'm asking, them. There's probably 30 around us, and I said, what do you want to be? And the girl said, I want to be a judge. And this guy said, I want to be a prophet. And this guy said, I want to be a politician. I'm like, these guys are dreaming the dreams of God. I want to invest in this right here. So we've, been, we've put thousands and thousands, I think we give, I don't know, somewhere $1,000 a month, $1,500 a month to there. We've been doing that for 13 years. You know, I think that you should give in secret. But I noticed that God's leaders in the Bible... God often talked about how much they gave. That Moses gave this much. That Nehemiah said, "I gave all this stuff." That David's everything gave it gave to God was recorded. I think we're supposed to inspire people to do the same. Then the I have just a few more minutes. So we so we give to the poor. The the other thing is, I believe that there's a call on our life to establish certain things as a legacy. And I, I don't think we should all invest in the same thing, but morality is a big um, theme in my life. I wrote the Moral Revolution book. Many years ago, the story that's in that Moral Revolution book happened with a group of probation kids that I pastored for five years, 100 kids, 120 kids. We actually adopted our, youngest, our oldest son out of that group. And, um, and so I've had a real heart for the whole area of sexuality. I, I don't know why, uh, maybe, as, maybe, maybe my own struggles as a young man, but I've felt that the Lord put this thing in my life, and on the life of my family, I see it on, on Jason, I see it on my daughter Jamie, that there is some kind of anointing to teach people about healthy sexuality, and to shift the culture, and literally for a moral revolution. And so we started the organization, Moral Revolution, and you know that Havilah is leading right now. We give $3,000 a month for that. Why? Because that's a theme that we have. It's a theme in our life. We invested our life in it. We also give to, obviously be tied to Bethel Church and give to its missions. And I'm just trying to say to you that I think that wealth, I, I Bill shared this many years ago, I may not get the quote exactly right, but wealth isn't measured by what you have, but how much you give away. But, and I think, I think it may have said something like this, wealth isn't measured by what you have, but by what's left when you give it away. You know, the, the woman that had just one mite, how many know she didn't put in much, but Jesus said she put in the most. Why? Because what she put in, there was nothing left over. I really want to encourage you. I, I hope that I'm inspiring you tonight. I want you to have multiple sources of wealth. I want you to make God your partner. What would happen if you just said, from now on, I'm going to be a radical believer. I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to give. And I'm going to give beyond my means so that God has to tap into my resource. What would happen if you said, God, I want to give much more than I have. Therefore, you inspire me, I'll give it. And that's what we began to do. We all, we've, we've always been on the edge giving. We, we actually really enjoy giving. These are just the things what I shared with you tonight. These are just the things that we do. These aren't spontaneous. These are things we've been doing for years, some of them for 14, 15 years. But my point is, is that you should have, you should have a plan to give. Not just a plan to get. You should have a plan to receive and a plan to give. And I believe when you have a proactive plan to be generous, that God has a proactive plan to release power to give you wealth. I think that if you get money without generosity, that's not the hand of the Lord. At least that would be an exception. I think that what attracts the hand of the Lord is compassion, faithfulness, as we see with the talents. Compassion, faithfulness and generosity actually become magnetic to wealth. How do I become wealthy? Well, become generous, and you'll become wealthy. Am I saying you're going to have a mansion on a hill? No. You'll have more than you need, though. You know why you'll have more than you need? Because you need more to take care of the people that you have a passion for. I, um, I love to do stuff like we wrote... The More Revolution book, and we let, and we give all of the resources from that book go to More Revolution. So that's a perpetual thing. We wrote a book about Tracy Evans, um, and we took that book. We wrote about her. We gave her that book, and we gave her, we give her all the royalties from that. How I many you know that's a way? Like you do something for someone, and they get all the royalties. So not only you're not giving just you know, a hundred bucks a month to them, but you're giving them the royalties for a book, and then you bless it. And maybe, maybe you don't write books, but whatever it is you do, you bless it and you go, God, sell a lot of books so that Tracy can be blessed. God, sell a lot of books so that we can, so that we can perpetuate a moral revolution. The last thing I would encourage you to do is begin a foundation. I, I gathered our family, uh, this is three years ago, and I told them what we've been doing for many years. And I said, I would actually like to start a foundation that we all give to with some core values that we give. Like, for instance, the Gates, um, Bill and uh, Melinda Gates, they love to give to both inoculations, you know, inoculating people, and they love to give to education. And I'm like, what, as a family, so we sat around Thanksgiving table three years ago, and we talked through, like, what theme has the Lord put on our life as a family that we can actually give to. Because how many know there's 10 million things to give to? If, if people know you have money, you will be inundated with requests. So I like to say, Lord, I can't give to everyone, but I can give to someone. And I do often feel like the Lord gives us a theme for life. Now that doesn't mean that we don't give spontaneously to people. We do that all the time. I'm sure you do that all the time. But I'm saying, I like to have a theme. I like to be as proactive about my giving as I am about my earning. Does that make sense? And I believe when those two line up, it does create some sort of synergy, a culture of, of wealth comes from you when you both proactively and faithfully give and proactively and faithfully receive. I'd like to pray for you. I do really believe that the Lord has given us the power to make wealth. And I, I was going to have just the people that feel like they're in poverty could stand, but I, I think we should all stand. If someone was releasing an anointing for wealth, I would stand in line and say, I, I, I have a billion dollar vision. <laughs> How this really cool thing happen? I want to tell you about it. You know, the Lord paid off our house. I've told you that last year. About $487,000, a man I didn't know, that we don't know, we know, we know him now, just wrote a check and paid off our house. Why did he do it? He had a dream. And in the dream, God said to him, I want you to pay off Chris and Kathy's house. He went and bought a boat. And God said, take your boat back. You can't have a boat until you pay their house off. <laughs> He's a very wealthy man. He could have had a boat and paid our house off. So he took the boat back. He comes he meets. It's a longer story. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But he stands in line, and he tells me, I'm supposed to pay off your house. We go through this conversation. And I said, I, you know, I, I, I don't want any strings attached. I'm not going to be your best friend. He goes, oh, no, no, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it so I can get a boat. I can't get a boat. <laughs> Shows us the receipt for the boat he bought. He said, see this boat? I paid $690,000 for it or something. I go, yeah. He goes, I had to take it back. God said, I can't have the boat until I pay off your house. So we wrangled for five days, and I think it was like on the fifth day, he wrote a check to my bank and paid off my house completely, $487,000. Three days later, this is funny, three days later, he sends me, texts me a picture of his boat. He said, see that boat? That's a much nicer boat than I bought the first time. And God said, when I paid your house off, that I could get any boat I wanted. So he thanks me for paying off my house. I'm like, that's amazing, right? The other day, I was walking through my house, not, not thinking about the Lord, not being spiritual, not anything, heading to my shop, and the Lord said to me, I'm going to fund everything you have in your heart, so dream big. He told me. I mean, just like, you, you know, sometimes you know it's the Lord when you're not even thinking like that. I'm thinking about the wood project I'm about to be in, and the Lord says, I'm going to fund everything that you have in your heart, so dream big. I'm like, all right. I told Kathy, she's like, bigger than you're dreaming already? (laughs) I don't know. He said he's going to fund it. I think that's what God does. I think he does that kind of stuff. I don't think he does it because it's me. I just think he does it because we are faithful. I think being faithful and being generous attracts God's attention. I'm like, I'm hoping I get there and there's a big old monument of me. I already told you, right, when, I die, when Bill and I die, when Bill dies, we're going to have a portrait of him in the new building. When I die, I'm going to have myself taxidermy, and I'm going to be out in the front. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that way, if the students really tap into raising the dead, one day I'll be like, and, as I was saying... <laughs> I got this. So you guys are not Liz. Eric's like, when you're gonna retire? I'm like, retire? Are you kidding me? I'm gonna be taxidermied in your office. I'll be pointing towards you. Be like, I'm watching you. Okay. On that note, we should pray. I'm thinking. Too late. Too late the anointing's lifted. Woo! If you want to receive the power to make wealth, why don't you just get, like, we used to call this receive mode. I don't know if we do it. We don't do it very much. Like, this receive mode, it's like you have to, like you have to envision like a bucket coming down or something. You're like, yeah, a barrel. A barrel. We used to envision a barrel, like a drinking barrel. <laughs> Holy Spirit, drinking barrel. So just, just take the position. And Holy Spirit, I just pray. First of all, I pray for a spirit of Generosity. I pray that this would be the most generous people on the planet, would be the people who are following us. They would just be ridiculously generous. Extraordinarily generous. They would actually be famous for being generous. Even as Moses' fam- people were so famous for ge- being generous, I don't know if you remember this, when Moses was building the tabernacle, he had to stop the people from giving. He actually made a decree, no more giving, don't give anything else, you've given too much. Because the people kept bringing more and more and more. And Lord, I pray that our people would be famous for giving. Giving into the city. Giving into their children. Giving into their children's children. Everywhere they go, just generosity would just spill over. from From the tip they leave at the restaurant to the legacy they leave with their grandchildren. They would just be ridiculously generous. And Lord, I pray that they'd be ridiculously faithful to everything they believe you've told them to do. They would be like the faithful servants and the talents and the Midas. They would be faithful to the things you've called them to. They would be persevering and faithful. They'd be faithful when they don't feel like it. And Lord, then I pray that you would release a power to make wealth in them. In Jesus' name, that you would attract wealth to them. That they would be so wealthy, it would confirm your covenant with them. Their neighbors would go, I don't know what they got, but we need to go talk to them. Lord, I pray jealous evangelism would come back. That people would see how happy they are, how well their children do, how things in their house prosper. And they go, I, I, need, I need that. I don't know what it is. That's, you guys got that thing, that cart you got in your driveway. Well, we want one of those in our driveway too. We want the Ark of the Covenant in our house too. We want that thing that attracts God to our house too. Some of you, God's given you a vision right now for generosity. I can feel it on me right now. I could feel it. Like uh, I, when, when I started talking about our, our giving, I could feel in the room, I, I felt it a few times uh, in my life when I'm preaching. I feel in the room like a, like a spirit of revelation. Like people just started, like, oh, we could do this. Oh, I think that thing's on us. I, I want you to think about what, what you're feeling. When I say feeling, I'm not talking about the emotion right now. But what the Spirit is telling you right now, this is kind of like you've come up to the mountain and the Lord is talking to you right now. And you and I both know what happens when you get down from the mountain and you get back into life. You're like, sometimes you can forget what you saw on the mountain. And right now, whatever it is the Holy Spirit's telling you, whether it's a way to generate income or whether it's a a way to, to a place to give or, or an idea or a concept, whatever it is the Lord's telling you to do right now, I want you to mark that in your heart, and I want you to make a commitment to do it. In other words, I want you, because you're noble people, you'll keep your word. I want you to say to God, God, that thing you're telling me right now, that person you told me to get to, that thing I'm supposed to do, that, that thing I'm supposed to start, that business I'm supposed to open, Lord, I will do this as a faithful servant of yours. Isn't it awesome that faithfulness in the parables wasn't about giving, it was about making money. How many know it takes both? So Lord, we pray for the faithful business people in this, among us tonight, people watching by Bethel TV, the faithful business people, the people you've anointed and you said, hey, I've given you a talent, I've given you a few dollars, I want you to go make more. Lord, I just release wealth on your people, in Jesus' name. And just say, I receive that for myself. Why don't you receive it for your family too? Just receive it for my family in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless
1: you. <laughs> Feel it all inside. We're going to have a fire tunnel. We're going to pray for as many people as we possibly can pray for. So, if we could have our ministry team begin to come to the front and make your way up here, that way we can. Get it all set up. So, yeah, our school of ministry students, prayer team. We're going to have the east-west room open up for prayer as well. If you need prayer beyond the fire tunnel, that room will be opened up. But we need all our all hands on deck, school of ministry students and prayer team, if you're able to come up to the front from the overflow. And we're going to create two lines like we normally do. Let's not get past the edges of the stage. So the edges of the stage is the furthest we're going on these fire tunnels, the edge of the stage. And if we have more people than that, you're going to head into the east-west to be part of our prayer team. Let's get our tunnels formed here and shaped up. Jared, we need some guidance over here through this part right here. If you guys can get a little bit closer to each other, if we've got if you guys are down to the end there, come. We've got more students coming. Great. We're gonna need to send some into we need more. Oh, we need more students. So if you're part of the school of ministry, All right, we we were. We had announced it, but we'll see where we're at with numbers. All right, we look good on both sides right now. Those of you on the end of that tunnel, hey, Angelo, those on the end, we need to send those in the east-west to make sure we're good on the east-west. And a couple of you on this side, if you could head to the east-west, a couple of you as well on this side, head on into the east-west. We need some people there as well. All right, so as you come through the tunnel, music is going to start to play, and we're going to pray for everybody that comes through this tunnel. So two lines down the center. So go ahead and make your way through the tunnel. Prayer team, get ready. They're coming your way right now. Full tear down.
2: Thank you for joining us. On our website, Bethel.com, you can find our pastor's itineraries who may be visiting a place near you. Eric Johnson will be in Richland, Michigan, April 29th through May 2nd. And Wendy and Steve Backland will be in Bristol, Indiana, May 1st through the 2nd. Now we want to hear from you. If you have any prayer requests, you can email them to pastor at Bethel.tv. Our team would love to pray for you and be sure to send us your testimonies as well. We've recently heard a testimony from a Bethel team member who is ministering in Florida. She was praying for a woman with sciatica who was instantly healed. While they were praying, a man who was 6 feet away suddenly got hit by the presence of God and felt his hepatitis C symptoms disappear. He went to the doctor at the end of the week and confirmed that he was 100% healed. He had contracted hep C through drug use, and he was blown away by God's all-encompassing mercy. We pray for you to receive your healing, no matter what it's for, because Jesus has paid the price for you to be well. May you experience the love and mercy of the Father, who is waiting to pour out his blessings on you. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.